0: You guys ready for me to preach? Good, I'm ready. Many, if most, if not most of you, uh, have read or at least heard of Pilgrim's Progress. Yes, you know this book? Uh, Pilgrim's Progress. It's uh, John Bunyan's brilliant allegory about the Christian life. Now, you know what an allegory is, right? It's a simple story in which the characters and events symbolize some greater, some greater truth or some greater reality. Bunyan's story is about a young man. His name is, coincidentally enough, Christian, who is on his way to the celestial city. At one point, Christian and his companion, hopeful, they fall into some trouble. Some of you will remember this if you've read the book. They are captured by, yes, the giant of despair. And oh yes, appropriately enough, his wife's name is Gloom and the giant lives in a castle called Doubting Castle. Okay, so you got the picture? Despair, Gloom, and Doubt. Giant despair locked Christian and hopeful in the dungeon of Doubting Castle. And he wouldn't feed them and every morning he would beat them mercilessly. He told the two that there was no hope of escape and he encouraged them to commit suicide. Because there was no way they could get out of the despair and the gloom and the doubt that they were encountering. The two were slowly starving to death, and the daily beatings continued. And then, after praying all night, Christian came. He had an epiphany. He had an insight. I don't know if you know what epiphany means. I know we have a lot of internationals here. That may not be a familiar word to you. But he had an insight. And this is what he says What a fool! What a fool I am to lie here in this stinking dungeon when I might walk free on the highway to glory. I have a key in my bosom called the promise of God which I am sure will open every door in Doubting Castle. Oh, guess what? His key opened every door in Doubting Castle. It opened the dungeon door. It opened the door in the passageway. It opened the door exiting the castle. It opened the A strong iron gate to leave the castle grounds. What was the name of his key? The promise of God. What do we do when despair attacks us? When gloom attacks us? When doubt attacks us? What do we remember? The promise of God. That's what God is saying to us tonight. Remember my promise. This is what Peter's been saying to us as we looked at the first two verses. This is what he will continue to say to us as we continue in the first chapter here. We've talked about the fact that Peter's writing to a group of Christians who are undergoing serious, ferocious persecution. And even if we're not undergoing persecution, doubt and gloom and despair will come for us in other ways. If you've lived long enough, you already know this to be a fact In your life, sometimes this life is just hard. Sometimes it's mean. Sometimes it's cruel. And as Bible believers, we understand why. It's because God's not good, right? Right? Wrong. That's wrong. It's not because God's not good. It's because man is not good. It's because man man's sin uh, was so offensive to a holy creation, that all of creation has been subjected to futility. Everything is broken. It's because of our sin. It's not because of a good God who put us in paradise. As I recall when I read Genesis the last time, it said, God put us in paradise. You and I are the ones that rebelled. Adam and Eve, and as the Bible tells us, we are in the loins of Adam and Eve. Mankind sinned against God. And the whole creation is broken. Even nature is broken. And while God in His goodness fills our temporal lives with many joys and pleasures, despair and gloom and doubt can come for us at any moment and from any direction. Christian counselor and teacher David uh, Powlison says it well. He says this, if you live long enough, you will experience a landslide of loss and disability. Now, the older you get, and I'm almost always the oldest guy in the room, um, this is true. If you live long enough, you will experience a landslide of loss and disability. He continues, if you live long enough, you may outlive everyone you love. You may outlive your money. You may outlive your usefulness. You may outlive your productivity. You'll outlive your looks. You'll outlive your health. You'll outlive your ability to walk. You'll outlive your... Your toilet training, he says. Your your ability to feed yourself. You'll outlive your memory. You'll outlive your mind. He says if you live long enough. Then he goes on to say, should you live long enough, you will lose every earthly good and then you will lose your life. That's what happens in this fallen world. That's what happens. We know this to be true. The Bible is clear. Christians are not exempt from the sufferings of this world. God tells us that we will encounter temporal afflictions, hardships, distresses, trials, difficulties, rejection, poverty, loss, pain, suffering, sorrow, sickness, dangers, and even martyrdom. If we live long enough, despair, gloom, and doubt will come for us many times in many different ways. So how does the Christian respond? What was the the picture in the allegory? When, when gloom and despair come for us, when doubt comes for us, what do we do? Someone tell me. We pull out our key called? The promise of God. And that's what Peter's saying to us tonight. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful text. You're supposed If you call yourself a Christian, you're supposed to know this. You're supposed to live this. And when you're attacked by doubt and despair and gloom, You're supposed to pull out your promise. You're supposed to pull out your key and remember the promise of God. The question isn't if we will face despair. The question is, someone tell me, how we will face despair. We will face it. We will face hard times. We will. The question is, how will we do it? Will we glorify the Lord in it? Which is His purpose. Or will we have a pity party in it? Will we get a, will we get, um, yeah, a pity party going? Beloved, we're supposed to know what does James say. Count it all joy when what? When various trials come into your life, we're not supposed to be surprised when the hard thing comes. What does it? I always say to you, we're supposed to be. Nobody knows. Remember next time I ask, what do I always say to you? We're not supposed to be surprised when the hard thing comes. We're supposed to be ready when the hard thing comes. We're supposed to be ready. We're supposed to be standing on the rock and remembering the promise of God. God says, This is how my people navigate the hard place. They remember me, they remember who I am, they remember how I saved them, and they remember their inheritance. Beloved, if you remember those things, you can walk through anything. You can walk through anything. If you remember this about your God, God says, my people remember me. They remember how awesome their salvation is and they remember how awesome their inheritance is. That's what Peter's going to say to us tonight. As we look at this great, great text. Oh, and they do one more thing. That's what we see Peter doing tonight. He's just worshiping. He's writing to people who are in the midst of a fierce trial. And he just starts worshiping. So, do you get that? Do you get that? The Christian is to worship in the trial. We understand Job's reflexive response. On his worst day in the perfect storm, someone tell me, what did Job do? He cursed God. Right? Or am I wrong? What did he do? In the midst of tears and grief, He fell to His knees and He worshipped Beloved. Children of God are supposed to be ready for the hard place and we're supposed to remember Him and we're supposed to worship. It's what Peter is saying to us in the prologue of 1 Peter, these first nine verses. Hard times are hard. The pain hurts and the tears are real. but We are not unlike unbelievers in that regard. We feel it just as much as the unbeliever, but we are unlike believers in that we do stand on a rock. And our hope is a living hope. Amen? It is a living hope. We don't hope in stupid things in the world. We hope in the Creator of the world. We don't hope in false security that the world offers. We, offer an etern- we, we hope in uh, eternal security that only God can offer. That's what the children of God do. I love how David said it in Psalm 18.31. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? He is a rock to stand on, beloved. When the wind and the waves come, and they will come. They will Come, our awesome God is our harbor, our breathtaking salvation is our haven, and our eternal inheritance is our hope. In the last few weeks, as we looked at the first two verses of, of First Peter, uh, Peter's reminding us, and he's reminding the first century Christians, and he's also reminding the 21st century Christian that we are aliens, we are strangers. We are exiles. We are passing through. Do you know that about yourself, beloved? You know you're not here to stay. You're here to go. And when you really know that, when you, and you begin to, to, to appropriate that and live that, it changes. It changes you. It changes how you think and how you plan and how you hope and how you live. We're supposed to know this stuff. The last few weeks we've seen Peter has reminded us that we are foreknown. We are foreloved. We are chosen. We are elect of the Father. I know this is a difficult truth. We've talked about it several uh, times in here. We don't run from what God's Word says. We may not always fully understand it, but we we preach it, we teach it, we humble ourselves before it in a contrite spirit. And if we need to, as Isaiah 66 uh, says, we tremble before the Lord. But we don't edit it, and we don't reinterpret it. We just simply believe what God's Word says. He's told us also, we are redeemed by the blood of the Son... Amen. I mean, God the Son has redeemed us by His blood. I'll, I say this to you often, but I don't know why there's not 10,000 people trying to squeeze in here and hear about Jesus, really. I, don't, I understand it theologically. I know what Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3 says. But God has come for His people. Nothing could stop Him. Nothing could stop Him. He shed His blood Lastly, we've been regenerated and sanctified by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We've seen these things in the last few weeks. Pain is pain, loss is loss, sorrow is sorrow, and grief is grief. But ultimately, our awesome triune God, He swallows it all up in His beauty. His compelling beauty, He swallows. And He makes it meaningful and somehow in a mysterious way to us quite often. Romans 8.28. He causes it to work for good. The hard thing, He causes it to work for good. Do any of you believe it? If you believe it, you can be a ferocious Christian in the world. You can be a radical Christian in the world if you really believe these things. You heard Mike read the text. I won't read it all, but there in verse 3 we see Peter's Peter's worshiping, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's worshiping, that's what blessed means, it means to praise the Lord. You guys know the message, many of you are familiar with the paraphrase Eugene Peterson wrote, it's called the message, I like his paraphrase here, he writes, what a God we have! Exclamation point, amen? Blessed be this God, praise this God! Who is a God like our God? Who saves like our God? Who gives an inheritance like our God? Nobody does, beloved. Nobody's even close. Isn't it a tragic thing when professing Christians live their Christianity about that big? Beloved, God doesn't mean for us to live it that big. He means for you to live it full out. Full speed. All the time. 24-7. That's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. This is the refrain of the first nine verses of 1 Peter. Yeah, Peter says, I know it's hard, but what a God we have. What a salvation we have. What an inheritance we have. (laughs) Beloved, if we remember these things, we will not be in despair or gloom or doubt for long. It's what I love to say about Jeremiah. You know, the... The great book that Jeremiah wrote, the prophet wrote, um, the book of Lamentations. What does Lamentations mean? Does anybody know what Lamentations means? It means to cry out loud. We know it's a book. It's almost like a dirge. And yet, the, 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 the most famous verse um, in Scripture about the faithfulness of God is found in, in Lamentations. But what I love to talk, what I love to say about Jeremiah, what you see there is he didn't let his circumstances dictate his view of God, and I see that so often. I see that so often in the professed church. You know, people, people, um, they let the, their view of circumstance dictate their view of God. But, but Jeremiah didn't do that. He let his view of God dictate his view of circumstances. Beloved, this is how we're supposed to live. This is how we're supposed to live. The breathtaking greatness of our God, our salvation, and our inheritance is the lens through which we view the world. It's the lens through which we we view every circumstance of providence. Everything that God allows to come into our life, we see it in light of His greatness, His goodness, our own salvation, which is a miraculous thing, and our inheritance. We don't let circumstance dictate how we see God. We, we view our circumstance and interpret our circumstance based on how we see Him. That's how it works for the Christian. And look what he says here. Verse 3, he says, According to the great mercy of God, He's caused us to be born... Again, we touched on this a little bit last week. It's the Nicodemus thing, and we talked just a little bit about it. You may remember Nicodemus was a perfect Jew. He was a Pharisee. He wore the right thing. He prayed the right way. He ate the right food. He did everything right. He was a religious machine. But Jesus said, Man, religion ain't going to get it done for you, Nicodemus. You must be born again. Religion ain't going to get it done. It's never gotten it done. It never will get it done. It takes an act of God to make a Christian. The church can't do it. The priest can't do it. The pope can't do it. The preacher can't do it. God must do it. And this is what Jesus is saying. You must be born again. It's a miracle of God. He says, Nicodemus, you're so messed up, I'm going to have to do a miracle in your life. This is how it is for all believers. God gets in our, the middle of our life and He does a miracle. You know, if you ask your modern, average evangelical churchgoer today, how do you know you've been born again? You probably hear something like this. You would hear something like, well, ask Jesus into my heart. You might hear something like, I prayed a prayer to receive Christ. You would hear something like, I made a public profession of faith. I walked down the aisle and I prayed to receive Jesus. I did some sacrament. I did some ordinance. It would be some religious thing you did. This is one thing Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. Religion will not get it done for you. You can't be reconciled to a holy God through man-made religion. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. While most denominations speak about conversion as if it's something that they can manage and control, I want you to hear what God says about being born again. I'm just going to read some, just some excerpts from a number of scriptures, okay? Just very quickly. If you want this stuff, give me your email. I'll send you my notes, right? Okay. But listen how the Bible talks about conversion, how the Bible talks about new birth, the verse that has been in front of us. God calls us to be born again. Ephesians 2.8, God made us alive. Galatians 6.15, we are a new creation. Acts 16.14, and the Lord opened Lydia's heart to respond to Paul's teaching. 2 Corinthians 4.6, God shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.29, for to you it has been granted to believe. Ephesians 2.8, faith is the gift of God. 2 Timothy 2.25, repentance is granted by God. John 1.13, we're born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Do you hear it, beloved? It's something that, oh, God is doing. God is doing it. We need to learn how to speak like this. If we're going to be biblical Christians, we need to learn how to speak about these things. It is a God thing. God causes it. God does it. God opens hearts. God grants belief. God grants repentance. It's what the Bible says. As we've seen for the last several weeks, our salvation began in eternity past. It was God's idea. It was God's initiative. It is His work. I submit that we learn to speak uh, biblically about our own conversion next time someone asks you about your conversion or about being born again, instead of talking about something you did, why don't you start at the beginning? Why don't you talk about what God did? You can just go to 1 Peter chapter 1. What has God done? Beloved, we need to remember. Let me say it this way. We need to learn how to speak biblically about true Christian conversion. I'm not talking about becoming the member of a church. I'm talking about coming into relationship with the living God. Those things can be in two different universes. They may be the same thing, but they can be two different things. I love how the guy born blind in John 9 said it. Remember what he said when Jesus created new sight in his eyes man born blind, he never had sight. He gave him new eyes. He just created new eyes. (laughs) You remember what he said? They said, what happened? He said, wherefore I was blind, but now I see. Those of you in here who are born again, you get that. You understand that. Wherefore I was blind, but now I see. Of course you have to respond to the gospel. Of course you do. Of course you have to exercise the faith that God gives. Of course you have to employ the repentance that God has granted. Of course you do. It's what we've been talking about. We've been seeing God's sovereignty is what Peter's been talking mostly about. But I also want to emphasize that man is responsible. It's always in the Scripture. God's sovereignty and the salvation of His people and man's responsibility to, to repent and believe and come to God. Those things are always together in the Bible. And we've talked about the fact that Sometimes that's hard for our two and a half pounds of gray matter to process. But what we talked about last week is those two truths, they intersect perfectly in the infinite and holy and righteous mind of God. Some some people have told, uh, told me in the last few weeks, as we've talked about these weighty doctrines, that they struggle with these doctrines. And I gave you permission to struggle. It's okay to struggle with weighty truth about God's election of His people. Many people struggle with this. But we don't have permission to reject it. And I just would say this. If you, those of you who struggle with it, how much time have you put in on it? This is what I would ask. If you come to me and say, Jim, I struggle with this, I, I say, hey, I get that because I did too. But then my second question, my second comment would be, how much time have you put in on it? How much time have you spent in the Word of God trying to understand what God clearly says? Or have you just taken what some, you heard some preacher on the internet say or some preacher back when you were 10, he said something. And, or have you been in God's Word up to your ears understanding what He is saying? Beloved, we need to be students of the Word of God. Peter's caught up in praise. He's caught up in worship. He's writing to a people who are in the midst of a fierce persecution. And he's worshiping. Because God in His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again. To to borrow Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, what a God we have! What a salvation we have! And there in the middle of verse 3, we see that we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our hope transcends every attack by the giant of despair and gloom and doubt our hope prevails at the funeral amen about a year and three months ago I preached my dad's funeral it was the greatest honor I've ever had to stand there and preach my dad's funeral who knew Christ Jesus and say oh death where is your sting where is your victory my God is looking at Christ right now which takes my breath away Beloved, our hope transcends even the coffin. Even the grave. Even the mortuary. Death cannot touch our hope. He is, our God is Creator. He is incarnate. He is crucified. And what else is He? He's the crucified God. And He's the what? The risen God. He is the risen God. I know you've probably thought about it. Every hope the unbeliever has, it will Every hope he has, every hope the unbeliever has, it will die. If it doesn't die here, it will die in hell. A million times. For a billion eternities, every hope will die. But not our hope. Our hope is the living God, our hope is the resurrected Christ. Our hopes never die. The Lord may have to change a few of them because we're off track. <laughs> but they never die. He may have to redeem a couple of them, but they never die. I love the words of David in Psalm 42. Why are you in despair, O my soul? This is that great this great psalm where I have written in this, the margin of my Bible, preach to yourself. Amen? Next time, despair attacks and gloom attacks and doubt attacks. Preach to yourself. I've said too many times, you listen to yourself, you'll you'll be a basket case. But if you preach to yourself, you'll be a disciple. And you can you can live like a disciple. David goes on he says, Why have you become disturbed within me, O my soul? Hope in God! For I shall again praise Him for the help of His presence. Some or even all of our temporal hopes may be shattered. We understand we're living in the real world here. This is not a fairy tale. Although there are some false versions of Christianity that that likes to to create kind of a fairy tale, the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. We'll talk more about that next week. It's one of Satan's best cons. In this church, we do not profess to love God so He will bless us. We profess to love God because it is so. Even on the hard day, we love Him. It's what Job's all about. Satan hates it when men lose everything and they still love God. He hates it. He doesn't understand that. That's what God's people do. We'll talk more about it next week. Job said, Yea, though He slay me, I will hope in Him. We don't profess to love Him, to get His blessings. We love Him, to get more of Him. As I say to you almost, I don't know, three times a, uh, a month, Jesus Christ is better than anything life can give and Jesus Christ is better than anything death can take. Verse 4, we see here that we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4, to obtain an inheritance which is uh, imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Ultimately, we will lose everything in this life through death, but the Apostle Paul said it perfectly. For the Christian, to die is what? Someone tell me. You've got to know this. To die is gain. The problem, and I say this to you a lot, I always follow that up with this. Most people in the church don't really believe that. They don't believe it's gain to die. Once you really begin to believe that, then you're ready to live. (laughs) If you don't really believe that, you are not yet free to live. You're still afraid. But when you actually come to the place where you believe it is gain to die, you can be anything God calls you to be. You have absolute and total freedom and liberty in that truth. I don't often quote Peter Pan. I quoted Peter Pan at my dad's funeral, and some of you have heard me quoting before. But anytime I start talking about death in heaven, I have to quote Peter Pan. Someone tell me what Peter Pan said. Some of you know what Peter Pan said. To die would be an awfully big adventure. (laughs) That's true for you and me. If you're a Christian tonight, that's true. It will be the beginning of an eternal adventure with the most attractive, alluring, desirable being in existence. His name is I Am, and it's an eternal romance with one where you can never get to the end of who he is. Uh, I yeah, this it's bigger than than we can comprehend. God will be our adventure. He will fill up our eternity with who He is. He is our inheritance. It's what God told Abraham. I am your exceeding great reward. David said it in Psalm 16. The Lord is the portion of my inheritance. Now, I'm going to quote some theology to you. Just, I'm gonna, just a little, one little paragraph. I just got to. It's in me. I can't help it. So stay with me. It's John Piper. It's just a little bit of theology, right? I mean, all of this is theology, right? But this is, this is, one, this is stuff that a theologian would say, right? So stay with me. I think you'll like it. Listen to what Piper writes about our relationship to God in eternity. He says, Since God is infinite, we cannot fathom the totality of His greatness or comprehend His infinite beauty or delight in all that He is. Rather, it will take an eternity for us to know and enjoy all that God is. That is, God will be progressively revealed to us. This will take forever. There will never be a time when there is no more glory for the redeemed to discover and enjoy. Our inheritance is God, and He will fill us up forever. There'll never be a time that we are bored with God. You'll not be bored in heaven because Jesus is there. And you'll be learning such awesome and fascinating and and thrilling things about Him every nanosecond of eternity. I don't know why there's not 10,000 people trying to come in here. I mean, this is the best news that's ever hit the ears, that's ever fallen on the ears of man, as far as I'm concerned. This stuff makes my heart beat fast if we rightly understand all that the Bible is teaching. We know this. If we have biblical uh, biblical understanding, we know this, we understand this, and we seek to live this out in the world. We can't worship small anymore. We can't live small anymore. We're on our way to Jehovah God. And our hearts are overflowing and our imagination is brimming. Can you imagine standing in the presence of infinite being? Can you imagine the infinite beauty? Can you imagine the infinite genius? Ah, man, I don't think we think enough about, about this. Men and women who live like this, who understand this and build their life around His words, who give themselves to be His disciple. We know what God says about men and women like this. It's in Hebrews 11. I say it to you at least once a quarter. What does God say about men and women who live like this? He says, I'm not ashamed to be their God. Listen, man, that's how I want to live. Isn't that how you want to live? Don't you want to live like that? That God won't be ashamed to be your God. In fact, you are making Him famous in the world by the way you live, the way you speak, the deeds that you do. I know it's hard, Peter says, but our God is I Am. And I just want to share something with you. When I hear the word I Am, obviously it will take a billion eternities to, uh, to uh, investigate all that that means. But I hear God saying, I am all glory. I am all splendor. I am all beauty, all holiness, all righteousness, all genius, all power, all knowledge, all fullness, all excellence, all perfection, all goodness, all passion, all love, all happiness, all joy, all exuberance, all life, all God. God says, I am all you will want and need and desire forever. I am who will fill your heart, soul, mind, and imagination to overflowing for a billion eternities. I am the one who will take your breath away for unnumbered eons. Beloved, take out your key. It's the promise of God. And you can escape despair and gloom and doubt. Our inheritance is God Himself. And it will take our breath away forever. I hope, you dwell, I hope you meditate on these things. Verse 5. There at the end of verse 4 says, this inheritance is, verse 5, um, um, it's imperishable, undefiled, it will not fade away, reserved for you in heaven, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in this last, Time. Why is Peter broken out in doxology as he addresses this, these suffering Christians? Some have been arrested. Some have been thrown in jail. Some have had all their property seized and confiscated. Some of their families have been broken up. Some have been enslaved. Some have been beaten. Some have been killed. What is he doing worshiping? It's a legitimate question. What is he doing worshiping We'll talk more about this next week when we get into verses 6 and 7. But why is Peter worshiping? As I said to you earlier, because the beauty of God swallows it all up. The beauty of God swallows it all up. Every loss, every pain, every tear. The sufficiency and the beauty of your God swallows. And not only that, your God takes the hard thing and He causes it to work for good in your life. Peter says our God is God. Our God has forloved us. Our God has chosen us. Our God has redeemed us. Our God has sanctified us. Our God has caused us to be born again. Our God is our inheritance, and our God protects us with his limitless and boundless and omnipotent power. Nothing can come into my life that has not passed through this omnipotent God's hands. If you believe that, you can receive any trial. You can receive any trial, and you will get victory. I love that Angela used that text from 1 John. Thank you, Angela. She must have been thinking deeply about what I was preaching. Because I told her what I was going to preach. But did you, did you hear what it says? We overcome everything in this world by, does someone tell me, by faith. By faith. And that's what, that's what uh, the next thing that Peter mentions here. He says we're protected by the power of God, this omnipotent God, through faith. We've been talking a lot the last several weeks About the divine side of salvation. About election and predestination. And that God chooses His people. We've been talking a lot about that. All that God has done. But I want you to notice here in the middle of verse 5, the Holy Spirit mentions the necessary human response for salvation. Remember we said it last week, does God choose men or do men choose God? Anybody remember the answer? Yes. Yes is the answer. If we're going to have integrity with Scripture... I know some denominations do their own thing, but if we're going to have integrity with Scripture, we must say yes. God chooses his people, and his people must choose him. This is the biblical answer. The human side of salvation, we must exercise our faith. We see it right here in verse 5. All these things flow uh, through, all, all these things flow to us through faith. And we must exercise appropriate it. We must exercise it. We must exercise our faith to be saved. We must exercise our faith to persevere. This is what Peter is saying to us tonight. Christians are neither passive in their conversion nor in the life of faith that they live. We are commanded to believe the gospel and then we are commanded to live the gospel. This is biblical Christianity. I love how uh, Philippians 2, 12 through 13 says it. I've always loved this. God says to his people, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There it is. Man's responsibility, God's sovereignty. There it is. I love it right there, back to back. I love it. I love how MacArthur comments on this. John MacArthur, famous preacher in the States. He says, the Christian must work out all that God has worked in. Amen? That's it, right there. The Christian must work out all that God has worked in. Mm -hmm. We must respond to the Gospel. We must exercise our faith. MacArthur goes on, he says, it's all God and it's all us. It's all of God. And he's saying it will involve all of us. So I want to kind of bring to a, a conclusion some of the things we've been talking about with respect to salvation the last few weeks is we've talked about these heavy doctrines. But I don't want you to forget man's responsibility. You must repent. You must believe. You must obey Christ. And again, we know none of us do it perfectly. But He is faithful and just to forgive us as we come and confess our sins. If we're born again, it is a miraculous, supernatural work. And I would challenge you as a Christian to learn to talk about your conversion beginning with that reality. Don't just start talking about everything I've done. Oh, I'm a Christian. I did this. I did that. I did this. I did that. My challenge to you is you start with God. Start with God. This is how the Bible starts. The Bible starts... With God, I think if we're going to speak biblically, with biblical integrity about our own conversion, we need to learn to speak about all that God has done. If we are born again, every part of our being will be caught up into that reality. And because we are born again of God, we know that when the giant of despair attacks, when gloom comes and When doubt assails us, we pull out our key called the promise of God and it unlocks every door in Doubting Castle. Every door in Doubting Castle. When the hard days come and they will come, we remember how awesome our God is. We remember how awesome our salvation is. Even beyond our ability to understand or explain, it started in eternity past. And we remember how awesome our inheritance is. God Himself. And then we do what Peter did. We worship. On a hard day, we worship. Because our hope is a living hope. Our hope is in the living God. Our hope is in the resurrected God. And so we can face down any doubt, any despair, and any gloom. Not only will we face it down, We will overcome it. We are more than... Someone finish the sentence. Conquerors. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know how hard it is. But you'll overcome it in Christ Jesus. You remember the promise of God. You remember how awesome your God is. You remember how awesome your salvation is. You remember how awesome your inheritance is. Peter's writing to a suffering people. And he says... Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away reserved in heaven for you. Who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Beloved, this is the word of God. I pray that you will live it next time the hard day comes. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for this beautiful text. I'm so encouraged. I'm so encouraged. Forgive us, Lord, when we entertain despair. And Lord, we are not exempt from hard things. We know that. But we know we will not be crushed by them. We know they will not defeat us. We know that the sun will come up. We know that joy comes in the morning. We know that you're our God. We know that our salvation is mysterious and eternal and awesome. And we know You're our inheritance, Oh God. I pray that we would learn these things deeply within our hearts. Holy Spirit, write these truths on our hearts. That when the hard day comes, we will not feel sorry for ourselves. We will worship. We will not be surprised that it's hard. We will be ready. And we will give glory and honor to the matchless and beautiful name of Jesus Christ. It's in His name that we pray. Amen.